Good morning. Hope you guys are good, good, good. Um, God's good. Amen. And uh, don't let the khaki pants fool you. Didn't have any clean jeans, so you know you don't dress very well or have a very good sense of fashion when you wear khaki pants and everybody's like, well, you look nice today. So still got the boots, so just look like a construction worker now, but Anyway, glad you're here. I'm excited about today. We're going to continue the series, The End of Me. And uh, we're, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. Uh, we're going to start there in verse 35 and go on into um, chapter 10. So while you're turning there, uh, I wanted to make you aware of something, if you haven't already heard, that uh, Easter is in two weeks. Um, and you probably knew that, but wanted to tell you... Um, something we're doing on Easter, which is we're going to be doing baptisms. And uh, baptism is our outward uh, display, is symbolic of what Jesus has done spiritually and done spiritually in our lives and our heart. And so uh, we encourage you that if you have placed your faith in Christ, uh, that you would go through uh, baptism. It's the the next step, if you want to call it that, that's very clear in Scripture. And so we would encourage you to do that. If God has put it on your heart to be baptized, and you can sign up at the Next Steps table. And uh, we'll contact you. We'll walk you through that, um, walk you through that and helping you understand more about why you would be baptized and what that means. And also help walk you through how that's going to go that morning and uh, just encourage you to do that uh, if you have not done so, just in obedience to Christ. And um, I know it can be nerve-wracking getting up here in front of everybody and, and doing something like that. Uh, but I would encourage you to take um, that step in obedience to what God may be leading you to do. All right, so Matthew chapter 9, the end of me. We're going to be looking today at the mission of God and realizing that when we come to the end of ourselves, as we've been talking about in this series, we come to a place where we no longer live for us, we live for God, and that includes when I come to the end of me, that I begin to be about God's mission, that it's not just a part of my life, but it is a realization of why I exist, is to be about the mission of God. And so let's start in Matthew 9, verse 35, we'll read down through uh, Matthew 10, 6, and then we'll stop. It says and pray. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And so let's stop right there for now and, and let's pray. God, thank you for who you are, God, and, and what you've done for us, God. Thank you for the promises that are so true. And God, um. I pray that our trust would just grow more and more in your promises. God, I pray that as we draw close to you, God, that we would see more clearly um, that those promises aren't just meant for us, but they're meant for the world. And God, that we would be about your mission, that our hearts would be uh, turned to you, and that, God, as we turn to you, we know that we We'll also look to the lost and those who need to hear your good news. So, God, I, I pray today that you would speak to us, that, God, we would clearly see your mission, clearly 
understand your message and then God uh, take this message out of these walls out of this building and be the church the body of Christ that you've called us to be we love you Lord and thank you for the power of your word the power of your spirit God the power of the gospel in Jesus name amen amen well we are going to talk about the mission today of God and and really what our life should be about and um, when I got saved I was uh, 24 years old. Actually, Easter falls on the 18th anniversary of my salvation, uh, which was April 1st of 2000. And so uh, when I got saved, I, I had a uh, great passion. I would say this, that I had a lot more zeal than I had wisdom, especially at that point. Uh, and so I, I wanted other people to know what I knew, to find what I found, to be found by God to um, experience Him, to know that He people for people to know that He loves them, and, and I I knew why. It was like I knew that 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 He had uh, changed me, and I knew that what I was supposed to do is to tell others that they could come to know Him as well, and and uh, so I knew the why and the what. What I didn't know was how, right? And so. Uh, I don't know if you're like this or not. Some people are this way, some people aren't. But if I know the why and the what, typically I will just figure out the how, right? The problem with that is a lot of times I run so fast into things that it can end up kind of being destructive, right? Because I end up trying to figure it out as I go. And, and, and in a way, that's what happened with me when it came to um, telling other people about Christ. And so, I was all zealous and excited, and I would even have these dreams because I was still apprehensive and nervous about doing it. I would have these dreams at night where I would share my faith with somebody, tell them about Jesus and what he's done and what he's done in my life, and I'd wake up like in a sweat. I know that's hard for you to believe that I would sweat, but I would wake up in, in a sweat and, 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 and like, oh my gosh, you know. And so I, I was looking for opportunities, even though I was nervous about it. And one day I'm sitting in the, the grocery store parking lot and Susan had gone in to grab a few things. And um, so I'm sitting there and I see this lady, an older lady, who's pushing this huge um, buggy full of groceries, right? And she's just pushing this big buggy. And I was like, there's my opportunity. And so I jump out of the truck, and I start towards her, and I'm like, ma'am, can I help you with those groceries? And she was like, no, thank you. I've got it. And I was like, no, ma'am, let me help you. And she starts walking a little faster. She's like, no, I got it. And I probably had a crazy look in my eyes. And, and I'm like, no, really, let me help you. And she's just, at that point, she's just walking, you know, trying to get away. And so I just, yeah, I'm like, God loves you. No, I didn't do that part, but it would have made it even better but I didn't do that part and uh but but I was wanting to share I, I just didn't really know how to share I didn't know what to do I, I I was I knew the why and the what of it I just didn't know exactly how and so I want to talk about that some today not just um how but the why and what of what we do and then how do we carry that out what does it look like in the world today and so when we look at those scriptures that we just read, we see one thing that's very clear is we see what the mission is. And we see that Jesus has uh, come to this place where he's looking out at the crowds, he's looking out at the people, and he really begins to define the mission. And the reason that he's giving us this mission uh, is because there are other people who need to know the message. And he's telling us this. It says when Jesus saw them, he saw people who were harassed and helpless. In other words, they were in need. They were hurting. He, he, he because he walked in um, on this earth as a man, he could understand where these people were at. He could have empathy for them. And so he comes to this place where he sees them as harassed and helpless. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd. In other words, there was no one leading them. There was no one taking care of them as far as uh, spiritually um, helping them, pointing them to God. The leaders of that time, so many of them were pointing uh, people to themselves or they were, they were trying to um, 
build their own wealth or their own uh, prosperity and prosper and all these things. And so they were, they were not being shepherded well, guided well. And it says that Jesus had compassion on them. And when we look at that, the word for compassion, it, it means basically it was something that, that was in his gut. It was deep. It was a burden. It was almost to the point of being something that was painful. It twisted inside of him when he saw them this way. So he had compassion for them. He was, he was wanting to help them, these harassed, these helpless people, these sheep without a shepherd. He wanted to work in their lives. And so he, he felt this deeply within inside himself. And the question that that makes me ask myself is, when is the last time that I was that burden for someone who doesn't know Christ? When's the last time that I felt that need to go and to share this with someone else? Because when we experience God ourselves and we see what Jesus has done and we know what he's done in our lives and we see people who are hurting, who are spiritually dead, who need um, Christ in their life, we have to come to a place, we should come to a place that we're burdened for other people to know him. So why do we do the mission? It's because there are others who are far from God and it doesn't even stop with their salvation. The ultimate end of all of this is that God is glorified and the earth, the world is full of his glory. The mission is clear. He tells them to go. He tells them to go out. He tells them that the harvest is plentiful. He says, pray for the workers and you get over into chapter 10 and he sends out the 12 to go do this. He tells us in Matthew 28, 18 through 20 that uh, it's the great commission. It's going and making disciples and teaching them to obey the teachings of Christ. And so when we think about that again, it's not just so that other people come to know Christ. That is a big part of it. But that is also the means to the ultimate end, which is that we would fill the earth with his glory. When you look at uh, Genesis chapter 1 and then you come into the New Testament and what Jesus is doing and, and, and what he's done in us, the purpose in that is to recreate us into his image to begin to grow us into his glory. And so when we go and we take this message throughout the world and throughout the earth and we carry it to people who maybe have never heard it, what we're doing is we're fulfilling the commission of God that hasn't changed since creation. And now we have this opportunity to see people recreated in Christ. And how do we do this? What do we do? Jesus does two things in these scriptures. First, he says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. So what's he saying? He's saying, pray that God would send people. He's like, the harvest is there. We, we just got, we need people to go. We need people to get outside the four walls of the church and to go meet people where they are and to tell them the greatest news that ears have ever heard. And he's telling them, pray that God would send them. But I believe this also as he transitions and Jesus didn't go now chapter 10, right? But Jesus is teaching them this and then it goes to him calling the twelve. And so more than it just being a request when we pray, God send out the laborers, send out the workers. I believe there is also an answer and response in that prayer that goes this way. God, here I am, send me. Because he tells them to pray, then he calls them to himself and he sends them out. And so when we pray, it's not just, hey, I think God wants to send the guy next to me, right? No, it's pray and go, pray and go, right? It's, it's 
I'm praying, God, send us, and I'm saying, God, here I am, now send me. So many times what we do is we know the mission of God. We know um, that he wants us to do these things, but we spend so much time, many times, praying for God to show us something that he's already clearly revealed in his word. Most of the time, I believe, especially in the mission of God, it's not so much that we don't know what to do, it's that we really don't want to do it. Which makes me ask the question, if we never feel that, 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 that burden deep within inside of us, do we really believe what we say we believe? Because if we believe that people who don't know Christ spend eternity separated from God, if we really believe and understand that our mission and our purpose is to fill the earth with his glory, then how can we not take this message to the world? If you look in chapter 7 and 8, so God has clearly defined the mission. In verses 7 and 8, it says this, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons freely you have received, freely give. He's saying, I want you to go and proclaim this message that the kingdom has come near. In other words, he's saying, proclaim that the Messiah has come near. And we know this, we know the, the fullness of the story. We know the whole story that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah. We know what he's done. We know what he's going to do. We know the promises. It's not that we don't understand what Jesus has done. And so we are to go and proclaim the kingdom. Go and proclaim that Jesus has come. So we proclaim the message because we understand that it's the way of salvation. We preach the message that the kingdom of heaven has come and it came through Jesus and now the giving of the Holy Spirit to those who have faith. How do we proclaim it? What do we do? First of all, we have to receive it, right? We've got to receive the message. And how do we receive the message? We receive the message by faith. We believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's done what he says he's done, that he will do what he's promised he will do. And then we trust, meaning we trust those promises and we put the full weight of our life on those promises. So we come to a place of receiving the message through belief and trust, which is faith. And then we have to know the message. This is something that bothers me a lot in church today is that so many people that come in and out every Sunday don't really, we don't know the gospel. I know that I didn't. I, I, I attended church for a decade. And I still didn't really know what the gospel was. I knew that Jesus died, but I didn't know much more than that, right? Right? And so we need to know the message. And, and I'm not one, guys, who is big on acronyms, okay? Like, I probably will never, unless God burns it in my front yard or speaks to me through a burning bush on the way to the church, I'll probably never come in and say, I have a message, and these are this, this word, and it stands for this. But I was trying to think, like, how can we remember the gospel message so that we can tell other people what it is. And I thought about the word or the phrase ASAP, right? One, because it communicates the urgency of the message. But two, I believe it can help us remember the gospel message. The first A, it stands for atonement, which you can think of as at one -ment. It means that it's through Jesus that we have been made one with God. And this happened because Jesus was the sacrifice for our sin. 
All the sacrifices from Genesis 3.21 all the way to the cross point us to what Jesus would do. And it's his sacrifice for our sin, him being the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the final sacrifice that has allowed us to come into a relationship with Jesus. So it's the atonement. It's a big word. You don't even have to say the word. You just need to be able to say like, this is what he did. This is how we see this in scripture. If you look at the S, it means the sin substitute, right? So that Jesus not only was the sacrifice for our sin, he also took our place on the cross. He took our uh, place in dying. He took our condemnation. He took our judgment. When we look at the law that God gave to Moses and we look at the commands of God, we see that we've all fallen short of, of those commands of who he created us to be. And because of that sin, we were separated from God and now Jesus took our place so that he died so we don't have to. He was condemned so we don't have to be. He was judged so that we won't be. And so it was a sin substitute. You look at the A, it's the next A is ascension. That he was raised from the dead and he ascended into heaven. If you look at scripture, you'll seldom ever see that the gospel's preached apart from the resurrection. And the reason for that is this. If Jesus wasn't raised, then the cross would really mean nothing. He would have been a good man who died for a good purpose. But 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that we'd still be in our sin. The resurrection is showing us that just as Jesus Live so we will live too. It shows us that his sacrifice was accepted. It shows us the power to live. It shows us the same spirit and it's his power that brings us to life. And then finally the P is that we're perfected and being perfected. So that now I've been given by faith the perfection of Jesus I'm able to come boldly before God's throne, not because I've cleaned my act up, but because of my faith in Christ. And he's given me his spirit. As he ascended, he sent his spirit back to us who believe. And now we have the power of God that has not only perfected us, but is also perfecting us as we grow into who Jesus has already made us. And so it's the atonement, it's a sin substitute, it's the ascension where he, he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, he sent his spirit so that now not only by faith am I being perfected, I'm also being, or I'm not only made perfect, I'm being perfected and growing in God's glory as I grow in the image of Christ. And see, here's the thing, even in that, as we look at this cheesy acronym, it's still a lot of words and what that means guys is if we're really going to understand the message if we're going to explore the riches of God's grace and the gospel for the rest of our lives it means that we we've got to get to a point where we're we're, we're reading this book we're, called the Bible which is alive and active we are encountering God in a real way so that I begin to understand more and more who he is. My son Jackson, my middle son, plays on a travel baseball team, and we practice for two hours a week, right? That's two hours. That's all we do. And it's kind of like this, that we can't expect that those kids are going to get it all in two hours. If they're going to really get better then that means they have to do something and practice something at home. It's kind of, or is, the same way in this. If we're going to grow in our understanding of Jesus and if we're going to know him better, then we've got to do something outside of here. Like we, we can't just think that if I'm here for an hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes, hour and 25, if he really goes long, 
that I'm going to get it all. Listen, we will spend eternity with God and never exhaust the riches of who he is. If we're going to share this message, we need to be growing in that. What I'm not telling you is that you've got to have it perfected before you share it. But what I am telling you is that we need to grow in our understanding of the message, of who he is. The next thing we've got to do, we receive it, we know it, we repeat it, we tell others. Not just uh, the gospel message, but how the gospel message has impacted us. What's God done in your life? How has he transformed who you are? How is he transforming who you're becoming? What, I mean, what does the gospel, what is the cross, the resurrection, what is the Holy Spirit, what do those things mean to you? Sharing those things and sharing the message of Christ is the mission of God. It's why we exist. It's not, listen, it's not a part of why we exist. It is the reason we exist. For his mission. Maybe one reason that, I wouldn't say maybe, the reason life doesn't make sense to so many people is because we're living it for our mission, not for God's. The reason that marriage oftentimes doesn't make sense to people is because we bought into culture's view of marriage that marriage is to make me happy when marriage is really about fulfilling the mission of God. We don't fill ourselves and satisfy ourselves with God so we continually look to our spouse to fulfill us, which they cannot do. And we, really, we think that somehow we're just supposed to be partners to get through life when really we have been put together to be partners to accomplish God's mission. And so the message is clearly defined. The, mess, the mission is defined. The message is defined. And now he's going to tell us the method, how we're to go about this. In verse 9, it says, Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts, no bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, or the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words. Leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. So he begins to tell us the method by which we should go about this. And really, the method is all centered around urgency. Remember ASAP. It's something we have to get out now. He's telling them these things. Um, why would he say, don't take gold, don't take silver, don't go get more of this, don't go get a staff, don't go get shit sandals for your feet. He's saying, you've got what you need right now, so go carry it to these people. Go to the lost sheep of Israel. It was to go to the, the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And he's saying, take what you have and go. This was going to be an, a quick journey. It's going to be a, a quick preaching mess, um, sort of journey that they're about to take. And so he's saying, you have what you need for the journey. He's saying it's urgent. He's saying, look, if they won't receive it, there's more people who need to hear it. But what I see in church all the time is we spend so much time trying to get the same people Sunday after Sunday to finally get it. But there's a world out there that so many have never heard it. There are people in our communities that have never even heard the gospel and the body of Christ, the church, has to become the body of Christ and take it to those people. Listen, it's not your purpose in life. It's not your mission in life to just invite someone to church so they can hear it from me. God has called us to carry that message to the world. 
And so we're to carry it with urgency. I think there's two things in this. One is that we oftentimes don't realize we have what we need to share the message and be about the mission. Paul even says in his writings that we're not competent in and of ourselves, but it's God who makes us competent. Again, it's not having it all perfected. It's not being perfect that dictates me sharing this message. It's also realizing that we many times spend this short, brief journey called life trying to gather as much stuff as we can versus being about the mission. So that materialism, and Jesus is saying, look, don't carry all this stuff. You don't need it. It's just going to weight you down. So that our desire for things oftentimes becomes the greatest hindrance to the mission of God. So we spend all our time trying to acquire versus trying to go and tell others the greatest message that's ever been heard. For us, we've got to come to a place where we realize that what God's called us to do and be about is the mission of sharing his message with those around us and those that we have influence with and creating influence with other people because love in and of itself requires us to make an investment in people. When we make an investment in people, they begin to trust us. They see our heart. They understand who we are. When they begin to trust us, we begin to gain influence. And when we begin to gain influence, they're actually interested in hearing what God has done in our life. But love requires an investment, not just in our 401k, but in the lives of other people. Verse 16. It's a good section of scripture, but bear with me on this. And it's God's word, so it's living and active. So we ought to want to hear it. Verse 16. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You'll be hated by everyone because of me but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in that one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the students to be like their teacher and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more are the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body and, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on, on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. And that scripture is loaded with all kinds of good stuff. We could literally do a series out of that text alone. But I want to kind of give you, I guess the overview of a lot of what Jesus is saying in there. And I believe he's telling us two things that are very important. One of them is this, that there's going to be persecution in the mission. The second one is that even though we're going to be persecuted, we have Jesus's promises. And the greatest promise he gives in this is that he's going to be with us. He says, when you're arrested, when you're brought before governors and kings, when you're witnesses to them and to the Gentiles, it says, but it's the spirit of your father who'll be speaking through you. So when persecution comes, God will be there. He tells them that 
you'll not have gone through all of Israel before you see the Son of Man, before he comes, right? And he's telling us again, I will be with you. I'm going to be with you. He's very clear about this, that the why of why we keep going, why we persevere, one is that those who persevere to the end will be saved, and it's the Spirit of God that gives us the ability to do that so that we keep moving, we keep going, because we know in the end there's a great promise that Jesus is going to acknowledge us before his Father because in faith and because of what God's done in us, because of the compassion in our gut, the burden in our gut for others, we have acknowledged him before others. We've been about the mission. We, don't, we aren't about the mission, so we will be saved. We're about the mission because we are saved, and the Spirit of God has worked in our hearts. The second thing that is sure in this text is that we're going to be persecuted, but why are we going to be persecuted? One is because of Jesus, and two is because of his message. We, even in the United States, live in a time where you can say almost anything you want to say, and it's tolerated. You can do almost anything you want to do, and it's okay. But even in our nation, when we begin to claim that Jesus is God, people don't like that. Even when we can stand all day and say, you know, I believe Jesus was a good man. I believe Jesus was a great philosophy, a great philosophy teacher. I believe he was a great teacher in general. I believe that his teachings are worth following. But when we stand up and we say that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, then we are label bigots. I don't see that getting much better. But the message is the truth. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we proclaim that. We can expect that we are going to be persecuted because a servant is not above his master, nor is a student above his teacher. And when Jesus would tell the Pharisees or people that he would even rebuke them because of things that they were doing or not doing in the way they were leading the people, they would get angry. But if you read in Scripture when he would claim and make a statement that he is God, that's when they wanted to kill him. And so there's going to be persecution. The Bible promises that, that if we follow him, there will be persecution. He's telling us all of these things. He even goes on and tells us that he didn't come to bring peace but a sword. What does he mean? He means that the gospel message is going to divide. He's telling us that our first allegiance is to him. Our first love, our purpose, our mission is to him. Verse 37, he tells us this. Actually, let's go to 34. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Jesus is saying these things not because he doesn't want us to love our parents, not because he doesn't want us to love our children. He's saying these things because what he's wanting us to see is that he has to be our first love. And if we really look at who he is and what he's done, how could he not be our first love? See, as much as we may love our parents and as much as our parents have done for us, they cannot do for us what Jesus has done. They cannot save us. They may have protected us and provided for us, but there's only one who can provide salvation. 
As much as we love our children, and this is probably the, the thing that has the potential to become the biggest idol in my life is my children. Because what happens is I really do love them so much, but what I have to realize is that even as much as I love my children, as much as they bring into my life, they cannot do for me what Jesus has done. They cannot satisfy me the way that Jesus satisfies me. Now, they are a blessing in my life that is part of what God has done, but my focus and my worship can't stop with the blessing. It should roll up into worship of him from whom the blessing comes. And real worship is laying down our lives. How do I take up my cross? He says, take up your cross. In other words, he's saying, die to yourself. Don't let anything come between your relationship with God. He is your life. He's not a part of your life. He's saying, you need to take up your cross. In other words, die to yourself and live for God. And he says, if you'll lose your life, you'll find life. Because the spirit of life will indwell you as you come to faith in Christ. And so we take up our cross, but what does that really look like? How do we really do that, right? What does it mean? It means, does it mean that I get nailed to a piece of wood? It doesn't mean that, but it does mean that I die to my life, to what I want. It's impossible for me to do God's will and my will at the same time. It's impossible for me to be about a selfish mission and Jesus's mission at the same time. And how we take up our cross and how we fulfill the mission and how we proclaim the message and how we um, see the urgency and how we push through the persecution is really explained in just being a disciple of Jesus. He calls the 12 first, he calls them disciples. And a disciple is a learner. A disciple is one who follows the teachings of another. It's also one who follows the teacher, right? And so it's not just following the teaching, it's also following the teacher. So I become a disciple, one, by following the teachings of Christ, But it's not just about knowing the teachings. It's about knowing the one who the teachings teach about. It's about a relationship with him. And it doesn't just equal knowing Christ, doesn't just equal having a lot of historical, biblical knowledge about who he is and what he did. It's not just about having a lot of um, unapplied theology. It's about knowing him in a relationship so that his teachings and the teacher become my way of life because I'm seeing him and following him. It's when I literally began to see who he is. I literally began to see who I am in and of myself. I see what he has done. I see who I've now become because of him and who I'm becoming, and I realize why I exist or my purpose. Romans 12.1 tells us this when Paul writing to them says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. When he says, therefore, he's referring to chapters 1 through 11, which is where Paul really, in an amazing way, lays out the gospel. And he's saying, therefore, since now you can see who God is, since now you can see who you are, that we've all sinned and fallen short, since now you can see what God's done, since now you can see who you've become and who you are becoming, he says, lay down your life. As a living sacrifice. So it's not just 
knowing the teaching. It's knowing the teacher. It's literally being able to see who God is and all of those things that he's done and who we're becoming so that we lay down our lives, which is a reasonable act of worship, considering what he's done. How do I come to this place where I know him? It happens through an authentic, a real experience with God so that his spirit engages our heart. How does that happen? It happens by reading his word, not just going through the motions of the 412 reading plan or something like that, but reading it to encounter God. It's living and active. When we encounter God's word, we are encountering God. It's through prayer and communion with him. It's not just talking to him, but it's listening as you read his word and go through life. It's about community and we experience him and our hearts are changed and transformed as we're in community. It's why connect groups and small groups, those types of things are so important. It's also through worship when we come and we gather and we worship him. And it's a continuation of what we've been doing all week long. So we follow the teaching. We also follow the teacher. So now that we've seen, we do what we see. We walk in his footsteps. We follow him. And this happens when the Holy Spirit begins to engage our mind and it's being renewed and transformed. Paul addresses this in Romans 12 too. He says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so God doesn't just engage our heart, give us a new heart, and transform us from the inside out. He also engages our mind. He begins to renew our mind. We begin to think differently we begin to see the world differently and we're able then to begin to walk more and more through this authentic real experience with God in his word and prayer we're able to walk in his footsteps more and more I know this I I can't know Jesus more and understand his will less. I can't know Jesus more and become about his mission less. I can't know Jesus more and not grow in my burden for people who don't know Christ. So my heart is made new. My mind is being renewed through the word and through prayer. Our minds are renewed as we apply what Jesus teaches us. So many people walk in and out the doors of the church and have no intention of doing what they hear or we read scripture with just an effort to get it done and never think about how do I apply this to my life? So the call is to be about the mission to proclaim the message, have a sense of urgency, to realize there's going to be persecution, but I have his promises to carry me through that. I have his presence, he's with me. And when I die to me and I become about him and I become about the, the, the mission and the message, I find true life, the reason that I exist. And that's who the church is called to be. Not people that gather on Sunday morning just to have a worship experience, but people who gather, continue the worship experience that's been going on all week long, and then we scatter into the world because we're about the mission of God. We're about proclaiming the message. And this is what I know about every one of you in here today who put your faith in Christ is God's called you to be about that, his mission. 
wherever you are, when you're there to be about his mission. But I know this in my life, I can't be about God's mission if I'm not dying to myself because it is too easy to get carried away by emotions that fulfill my desires rather than the power of the Holy Spirit who will lead me and give me the ability to do God's desires. And so today to close this out, I I really want to pray I want to pray for us to be a church that doesn't gather and just stay inside these walls, but that we are a church that's about the mission, that we push past the awkwardness, the uncomfortable situations to do what we have been recreated to do. And so I want to pray, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, I'm going to ask that when I pray, our prayer team would come up here and if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but today you say, hey, I want that. I, I want to know him. I want that relationship with him. I want to put my trust in him as Savior and Lord of my life. Then I would invite you to come and talk to one of our prayer team folks. and That way they can help you take the next steps in this journey with Christ. And so I want to pray. Prayer team, if you would come forward, those who today you would say, I need Christ in my life, you come and take that step of faith to talk to them. And I want to pray for all of us that we'd be about the mission. Father, thank you so much for who you are and and just, God, uh, what you've done and what you do, Lord. And God, I pray we would just draw close to you and realize that The mission is our life. It's not a part, it's the whole. And it's our life because, God, you are our life. Lord, give us courage as we press into you. And would you give your spirit to us liberally? God, give us courage to share and give us wisdom. And God, fill us with your love that we would invest in other people. God, we love you. And God, the reasonable thing to do is to lay down our lives. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.